Good Friday. Welcome to the program, Pete Callender here. And the phone numbers are 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110 here on News Talk 1110 at 99.3 WBT. You can also email Pete at the Pete Show and... Hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. I am still on Twitter. I've been on Twitter now for, I think I signed up in 2009. And I am I am monitoring developments in the Twitter saga with Elon Musk. Let's talk about that today because uh, there is a, there's a connection here to media in general. Uh, but also there's a very lengthy piece written by Jonathan Haidt at uh, The Atlantic, which I thought was very good, um, even if I don't necessarily agree with uh, some of his conclusions and arguments. But uh, I think he accurately defined some of the problems going on in uh, our society, but also the world. And yes, it has a lot to do with social media. But I want to start with Elon Musk. Is it Elon Musk? I just heard that news report. How did how did that reporter pronounce it? Elon. Elon Musk. I, I don't. I'm going to keep calling him Elon Musk. Um. In case you are not aware, I'm going to just run down sort of the 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 real brief background as to what occurred. So, originally, Elon Musk reaches out to Seth Dillon, uh, the founder of the Babylon Bee the parody website that had been banned from Twitter uh, Twitter for writing a, uh, a fake satirical article. That's what they do. It's a fake news site. Um, and they wrote a satirical article awarding Rachel Levine, the first transgender member of a cabinet. Um, this is the deputy secretary for health and human services, I believe. Uh, and Babylon B named in a satirical post, a satirical article that when you read the article, it's obvious parody. They uh, they said that this transgender woman had been named the man of the year. And so Twitter blocked their account. That was the third strike. And Seth Dillon had said at his speech when he came to Raleigh a couple weeks back for the John Locke Foundation's Liberty Conference, uh, he said... Make them ban you. That's that has been the Babylon Bees and Seth Dillon's approach to the censorious progressive autocrats at Twitter and Facebook, uh, all of these social media giants, the big tech employees that run the show and determine what we get to look at and what we don't. And he said, just you know, a lot of times people sort of self censor. They they take stuff down or they won't even post it. Uh, and Twitter was requiring the Babylon Bee to take their own post down, to delete their own tweet. And he said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And so you can ban me. You're going to have to ban everybody. And so that's what they did. They've, they've told the Babylon Bee that you can't have access to your Twitter account. You can't post anything until you take that tweet down. And they're refusing. So... Elon Musk had reached out to Seth Dillon, according to Dillon, and uh, asked if this was, in fact, the case that Twitter had banned Babylon B. And Dillon confirmed yes and showed him uh, that, yes, in fact, they had been banned for that tweet. Shortly thereafter, 
Elon Musk in, I guess, quarterly or required SEC filings. Um, it is uh, learned that Musk made a three, nearly $3 billion purchase of Twitter stock, making him the largest individual shareholder with a 9.2% stake in the company. According to Shant Mesrobian, who writes uh, a newsletter, good newsletter, comes via email, and uh, it's, uh, it's free. It's called Inquire. Shant Mesrobian says Musk had been telegraphing his move in the days and weeks leading up to it with a series of public musings, questioning Twitter's political and ideological impartiality, as well as its handling of speech and censorship issues. Remember, he put the poll out saying, is Twitter dying, that sort of thing, and asked about the edit button, and he asked a bunch of different uh, questions. For those at home who have long shared Elon Musk's concerns, not only with Twitter, but also the dominance of hegemonic liberal culture on tech platform governance more broadly, but, you know, just don't have billions of dollars to do anything about it. Musk's tweets were thrilling, and then his actual purchase was nothing short of messianic. Shortly after the news broke, it appeared as if both the Tesla founder and Twitter's leadership had come to an agreement that Elon Musk would join the company's board. With Twitter's newly appointed CEO, Parag Agrawal, who, by the way, once famously stated that Twitter's role was, quote, not to be bound by the First Amendment. But Agrawal, the CEO, was you know heaping some very strategically driven praise on his newfound frenemy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Parag Agrawal goes on to Twitter and says, Oh, I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Yay! Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it's become clear that he would bring great value to our board. And then, that was on April 5th, less than a week later, the plan fell apart. And Agrawal then announced that their new activist shareholder would not, in fact, be pushing for his changes from within the tightly regulated, childproof confines of Twitter's board of directors. Pag, uh, uh, Parag Agrawal goes on, uh, went on to Twitter and said, uh, I sent a brief note to the company sharing with you all here. This was on April 11th, so four days ago. Elon Musk decided not to join the Twitter board. We were excited by the opportunity, uh, opportunity to collaborate and clear. Uh, we were clear about the risks. We believed the best path forward was having Elon as a fiduciary of Twitter, where he, like all board members, must act in the best interests of our company and our shareholders. The board offered him a seat, contingent on a background check and formal acceptance, of course. The effective date was April 9th. But the same day, Elon shared that he will no longer be joining. I believe this is for the best. We will always value input from shareholders and remain open to his. Our goals and priorities are unchanged. Let's tune out the noise and stay focused on what we're building. Yeah, uh, about that. I don't think this is just noise, but we shall see. We shall see. All right, so now, that, so, so against that backdrop, we now start looking at the, the impact and the ramifications and where it can go. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So Elon Musk says I'm going to buy 9% of Twitter for like $3 billion. Twitter CEO, uh, I always forget his first name. Is it Parag? Yeah, Parag Agrawal. He says, 
uh, oh, we're, we, we're looking forward to him joining our board of directors. And uh, then a couple days later, Elon's not going to join our board of directors, but we we are sure that he will be acting, you know, uh, for the company. According to uh, Shant Mesrobian, writing at Inquire, his newsletter, he says it's clear now why it happened uh, the way it did. Musk's invitation to the board was more of a containment strategy by Twitter than a good faith attempt at collaboration. Right. Containment. If you get him onto the board of directors, his actions are then limited. He can't do certain things. And he's capped as well. His ownership is capped. Joining the board would have restricted him from taking any more than a 14.9% ownership stake in the company. And it would have obligated him to fiduciary responsibilities that might have limited his criticism, might have uh, blocked any kinds of uh, reform efforts. So uh, Mesrobian goes on to say that private self-governance is not likely to solve the problem that we're seeing at big tech. Um, a li- but for now, he says, a little billionaire activism pointed in the right direction might not be the worst thing. <laughs> Given the unprecedented power and influence concentrated at these companies today, going to work for one of them has become less about contributing to the growth of a successful company or producing new innovations and more about joining something of a ministry of culture, an elite institution where the best and the brightest can impose and enforce their benighted classes, enlightened and progressive values over the country's media, culture, and politics. In its most potent form, These activities are concentrated and institutionalized at tech companies in the form of safety or misinformation departments who are tasked with censoring and imposing speech controls using extremely arbitrary standards that seem to change day to day based on the fleeting, partisan, ideological, and electoral context of the moment. He's exactly right. Now, one of the things I saw suggested years ago for Uh, these tech companies, was essentially to adopt a First Amendment-type standard. You don't need to reinvent all of these different rules for moderation. It's not really necessary. Because if you adopt a First Amendment posture, essentially, the case law has already been worked out on a lot of this stuff, right? There's precedent. You You can find all sorts of analysis and guidance Because if you're using the First Amendment as your guidepost, then a lot of the stickier questions have already been dealt with. So here is what uh, Mesrobian suggests. Here's his advice for Elon Musk. If you're able, if he's able to get this done, because now Musk says he's thinking he just made a, a, a big offer and he wants to buy the whole company and take it private. Oh, hang on. Let me do that first. I'll, so that's the late, you're right, because that was the latest. Here's the uh, the letter that Musk sent to me. No, I'm kidding. I just printed it out. It went to Brett Taylor, who is the chairman of the board. He said, quote, I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. However, Since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. 
Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. As a result, I am offering to buy 100% of Twitter for $54.20 a share in cash. That is a 54% premium over the day before I began investing in Twitter. So in other words, he's paying 54% more than it was worth before he ever bought the shares. It's also a 38% premium over the day before my investment was publicly announced. So this is a very, very, very good offer. Shareholders should be very, very happy. If you are viewing Twitter as a vehicle of uh, a vehicle for investment, as a shareholder, this should, you know, check all the boxes. You should be like, yes, I will sell to you. Take the company private. What a return on my investment. He says, my offer is my best and final offer. If it's not accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it. Signed, Elon Musk. So, look, is it his last and uh, his best and final offer? I don't know. But I know that's a negotiation tactic. Right? So you, you put him on a deadline. You say, this is the deal. I'm not negotiating against myself on this. This I, it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm offering you this, nu- this number, and you can accept it, or you can move along. I don't like the fact that he said I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder because I think that's precisely what Twitter wants. Its employees, its management, some of the largest shareholders, I think that's what they want. They want to see Musk sell and just get out of the way. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Elon Musk, founder of Tesla, SpaceX, buys a bunch of stock in Twitter. Twitter says, oh, we totally want you to be on our board of directors. Elon's like, no, not going to be on the board of directors because it's going to limit his ability to buy more shares, controlling, you know, more of the company. Also, it limits his ability to enact reforms or criticize that sort of thing because he has a fiduciary, uh, fiduciary responsibility. So um, he does not join the board of directors. He then sends a letter to the board of directors chairman and says, I'm going to make you an offer. This is my last and best offer, of like $54 a share. And I'm going to take the company back private. We're going to delist it off the stock exchange. I'm going to be in complete control because I think It's got the potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. And in order to make it that, I need complete control. So that's kind of where we stood. And then uh, yesterday, news broke that Elon Musk is now no longer Twitter's largest shareholder. What happened? Well, our elites, quote unquote, They went into meltdown mode when it was announced that Musk bought 9%. When when it was announced that he spent $3 billion to get 9% of the company, you would have thought that he was dragging people out of Silicon Valley and, like, doing snuff videos with them, you know? Like, just murdering people, posting it online or something. Like, the, the response to... To him purchasing 9% 
was completely out of proportion to whatever risk they think Elon Musk was at that point. Now, that being said, uh, I suspect that um, you may have poked the bear a little bit on this, folks, because now Musk might be a little bit more incentivized to do more. I think that's sort of where this is going. I mean, that's what it looks like. Or maybe not. I don't know. Like, I'm not... I'm not worshiping at the feet of Elon Musk. I don't um, I don't see him. I saw somebody else say this yesterday, uh, and I'm totally stealing it, which is I don't see him as the supervillain uh, or the savior. He's, he's a guy. He's a billionaire. He believes in some kind of wacky ideas, too. I mean, with the SpaceX thing, like he wants to get off the planet because he thinks it's going to – the global warming is going to kill everybody. That's why he's doing that. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not – I'm not a huge Elon Musk fan. Just, he's a person. Pros and cons, does some good stuff, does some bad stuff, whatever. But in this case, what he's doing on with Twitter, I am cautiously optimistic. Now, I don't know. Maybe it's all a play for stock pricing and whatever. I don't know. Maybe he's just kind of, he's just kind of playing like with the tinfoil ball or the ball of yarn like a cat would. I, I don't know. However, even if nothing else happens and he sells off his shares and he, you know, rides off, well, I guess into the cosmos, right? And he, he, he just, he, he leaves Twitter and this is it. Even if that's all that comes of it, this has been highly instructive, highly instructive to watch who and where people are making these arguments against free speech. I'm glad he smoked them out. I am. After he said that he want, he was offering to buy the whole company, we find out that Vanguard Group, they filed uh, papers that said they have now taken a 10.3% stake in the company. Now, the filing shows Vanguard increased its stake in Twitter over the course of the first quarter. I don't know if any of that was purchased after Musk made his announcement. But Vanguard Group, along with BlackRock, not only are they running around buying up all the houses, driving costs up, right? But they are also, they're all in on the ESG garbage, the the church of wokeism coming to a boardroom near you. Um, Andy uh, Puzder, the, the uh, former CEO of uh, Carl's Jr., he spoke at that same uh, leadership conference that the John Locke Foundation, or Liberty Conference, rather, uh, that the John Locke Foundation did a couple of weeks back that Seth Dillon was at from the Babylon Bee. And he went through, he did a PowerPoint presentation. He was fantastic. And uh, he actually gave me his email. I was going to get him on the show, and then I apparently threw away the, uh, the, the booklet that had his email address written on it. So I, I don't have his email anymore. I, was, I would love to get him on the show. But he, um, maybe I should reach out to John Locke and that's what I'll do. I'll, that's what I'll do. But he did this big presentation on this ESG stuff. And the example he gave was how BlackRock forced Exxon into putting an environmentalist whack job on its board of directors. Because the it's like environmentalism. I forget what the S stands for. Probably safety. No, it's not safetyism. It's uh, sustainability, I think. And governance. ESG. And what it is, is progressivism. It's, hey, we're going to 
stack these boards of directors and we're going to direct companies to engage in activities that uh, earn less profits for shareholders. So you could argue that BlackRock and Vanguard are actually working against the, the very people that are their clients, these shareholders that, I mean, they, they control our money, right? I mean, BlackRock and Vanguard, according to Puzder, they're, uh, they own like 80% of uh, all the boards of uh, of all the uh, companies, rather, shares in eighty percent, they have like controlling shares in like eighty percent of corporate America. So, well, the, the companies that are obviously public, um, and they're directing policy and governance changes inside of those companies. And Exxon had their stock cratered by BlackRock. This, according to Puzder. In the, in the presentation. And it forced, in doing so, because BlackRock started, came out against him and they wouldn't put, him on, uh, put the environmentalists on their board and then that was, uh, uh, that uh, precipitated the, the stock sell-offs. BlackRock tanked the, uh, tanked the stocks and then um, Exxon caved and put the people on their board. So Vanguard's move here, I view with great suspicion. Absolutely. Because there's another company, I forget who the other... Uh, fund management company is, uh, but it's BlackRock, Vanguard, and then there was a third that I never heard of that were uh, were identified in the presentation. So did Vanguard turn around and make this move after Musk said, I want to take the company private? So now he's not the largest shareholder? Or maybe they made the move when they saw he was buying 9% and they wanted to be number one, so they went above him, especially because it's him and especially if Vanguard is pushing the ESG garbage. So maybe they did it when they saw uh, that movement. Or maybe it was just completely coincidental and maybe they bought the shares beforehand. Maybe they started increasing their position before Musk ever bought any. I don't know. Speaking at a TED to, uh, uh, TED Talks conference or TED 2022, a lot of T's there. Uh, he's up in Vancouver. He said that he, uh, Elon Musk said he does have a plan B if this bid is unsuccessful. He says, this is not a way to make money. My strong intuitive sense is that having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important to the future of civilization. So, yeah, he's not being motivated by a profit if you believe him, if you believe him. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Thank you. Uh, April, I think was her name, who called in and said the S in ESG stands for social justice. Which, shouldn't it then be ESJG? No, but she's exactly correct. Thank you. Um, you know me. Like, I'm very particular about my acronyms and... I just think if you're going to, you can't, you can't put extra words into an acronym because it, it creates confusion just like it did for me when I said ESG and I was blanking on what the S stood for and I thought sustainability because it's sort of along those lines, but no, it's social justice. That's exactly correct. And it's, it's a cancer. It's infecting corporate entities all over America and the biggest purveyors of this garbage BlackRock and Vanguard, they own like 80% of the companies. 
They're on the boards. They own shares in 80% of the company. So uh, it's, it's a real problem. All right. So um, if he, this is a tweet. It's a tweet, Pete. Or sorry. It's a Pete tweet. I got to work on that branding. I always say that. And then I never carve out time to work on branding. I just don't like it. It's boring. App Patriot Girl says, Pete, if Elon sells the stock, it's going to tank. Twitter will be sued by its investors. That's why he said that. So uh, you just heard Mark Muller in the last uh, newscast there talking about the poison pill that the board of directors at Twitter apparently just decided unanimously adopted what's called a limited duration shareholder rights plan. It's intended to enable all shareholders to realize the full value of their investment in Twitter, you see. The rights plan will reduce the likelihood that any entity, person, or group gains control of Twitter through market accumulation without paying all shareholders an appropriate control premium. So they're going to so Musk would have to pay, which by the way, you know, he offered $54 a share, something, yeah, 54.20 a share. That's what he offered. Which was above that that's a premium. That was above what the stock was valued at. Oh, and by the way, so far the only board of uh, member of the board of directors or or shareholder who has actually driven the price down has been the prince of Saudi Arabia, who apparently owns a big chunk of shares in Twitter, but people didn't know. It's very odd. Very, very odd. Yeah, that's another twist to the story. I'll get to that. So this rights plan will reduce the likelihood that any entity, person, or group gains control of Twitter through market accumulation without paying all shareholders an appropriate control premium or without providing the board sufficient time to make informed judgments. Okay, that, that's the language that they're using. What, what does that mean, though? They're calling it a poison pill because essentially um, it forces approval from all of the shareholders and they're not going to be on board. So, uh, and by the way, Elon Musk responded to the, the, the Saudi prince on all of this. Uh, let me go over here. Um, the New York Times reports, according to two people with knowledge of the situation, Twitter's board is considering a defensive move known as a poison pill that would severely limit Musk's ability to acquire the social media giant. Do you feel like we're in Atlas Shrugged? It's very Atlas Shruggy, all of this. I love it, by the way. I, I mean, this it's just, it's a remarkable story. Just, just take a step back and think in terms of, like, the telling of this story, and it is, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's, it has profound implications in all sorts of areas we'll get to, but uh, it's just also a really good story. you got personalities that are, you know, that are uh, conflicted and people who know each other and relationships. There's all these backstories. So the directors are weighing whether to move ahead with the, this poison pill they called a shareholder rights plan that would limit the ability of a single shareholder like Mr. Musk to acquire a critical mass of shares in the open market and force the company into a sale. The poison pill defense is a common tactic used by companies that want to fend off unwelcome takeover offers. It essentially lets the company flood the market with new shares or allow existing shareholders other than Musk to buy shares at a discount. 
at a discount. So once again, the people who are telling us that, well, you know, it's a private company and they can censor anybody they want to and shut up, you Nazi racist. You know, those folks, now all of a sudden, they need to rewrite some rules here. And they, now all of a sudden that whole, oh, it's the free market, that defense, all of a sudden, it's not in fashion, not really applicable. I wonder why. All right, I'll tell you what the uh, Saudi prince was up to on all of this after the news.